Hello and welcome to another episode of Room for Thought. I'm Douglas Carswell and joining me today is the comic genius known as Andrew Doyle, best friend of and creator of Titania McGrath. Hello. Thank you for nice coming along. You. <laughs> Thank you for coming along. Um, first and foremost, if I, if I may, um, you've got this incredible creation, Titania McGrath, but she's unlike any previous comic creation. She exists not on a stage, not on television, yeah. but on social media. That's tell, right. us, tell us a little bit about her. Well, she's mostly, she's a Twitter character. That's, that's the origins. Uh, and there have been a number of really great satirical Twitter accounts over the years. Um, my favourite was Godfrey Elfwick, who was a genderqueer Muslim atheist and uh, poked fun at the kind of uh, very self-righteous uh, liberal left um, people. And um, that was run by a friend of mine called Lisa Graves. And she actually inspired me to, to do my own uh, Twitter parody account or satire account. Um, and I thought of um, a certain type of young feminist activist who's very, very privileged, very, very uh, well-educated, privately educated, went to Oxford, all that kind of thing, but still is convinced that she's oppressed. Uh, because there's so many people like that, so many recognisable figures like that in the media um, and on social media. So I thought I would replicate that kind of person without it being a specific parody of someone. So I also made her a slam poet as well, one of those sort of terrible activist poets. That, so, that... so she's a she's a she's a poet. Yes, she's well poet. Yep. You know, she thinks it's terrible poetry. I've written a lot of it, but you know, she thinks she's a genius. <laughs> she's uber politically correct. Yes, and she's obsessed about social justice. Yes, utterly obsessed. And she tends to see insults and injustice where most people might see ordinary everyday conversation and events which is exactly how the social justice movement works at the moment that you know they are a minority of people but they've got big loud voices and they detect racism homophobia sexism anywhere even if it's just clearly not there so this sort of embodiment of what you might call woke culture and, and self-righteousness the word woke which is now being used unironically unfortunately uh, but yeah it's it's that exact culture that we're all familiar with and, and we can all see and we can see it spiraling out of control all the time because every day now i mean i have no shortage of material because literally all i have to do is turn on twitter and i can see five or six news stories that i can easily turn into a, a joke and most people think it's ridiculous most people think it's absurd and so they want it to be mocked but they also know that a lot of people who if you, you know when i used to be a teacher if i'd if I had have uh, tweeted in the way that I do now, I could have very easily lost my job. Uh, actually, I'm really privileged because as a comedian satirist, I can say what I want to say and I'm not going to lose my job. In fact, it's going to help my job. As well as doing, um, as well as existing, I should say, on, on social media, on Twitter, mm. uh, Titania has also written a best-selling book, Woke. Woke, A Guide to Social Justice, yeah. Right. And um, is that a sort of a, a, a collection of her thoughts? It is, uh, I suppose, like a kind of, uh, uh, well, chapter by chapter, she talks about the various issues of the day that, that bother her. So there's a chapter on Brexit. Uh, there's a chapter on what she calls Islamo-feminism. Uh, there's a chapter on cultural appropriation. So it covers all those various things. And interspersed throughout the book, you've got her poet, examples of her slam poetry on these various topics. Uh, now, quite a lot of the terminology that she uses to describe herself, I... I've struggled to work out okay. quite what quite what she meant. She calls herself, for example, non-binary. Does that mean yes. she's saying she's both gay and straight, or is she referring to something completely different? Well, because she believes in the fluidity of identity, she's not always non-binary. Some right. most of the time, she's a woman. Right. Uh, when the fancy takes her, she becomes non-binary, and that means that she identifies as neither male nor female. Oh, so the binary is a reference not to sexuality, no, but to gender. It's a reference to gender. Right. Uh, she did transition to male briefly for about half an hour, but because she hates men. 
she didn't stay male for long. So she doesn't believe that having two X chromosomes makes you one gender and having X and Y chromosomes make well, she, you another. She doesn't believe in chromosomes. Okay. She thinks that's a patriarchal myth. Okay. okay. It's made because science is a patriarchal construct. And she calls herself polyracial as well. Is that... Again, it's the fluidity of race. So she, she's... But of course she's white in reality. Mm, and she calls herself a, um, a, a white woman of colour. You know, and, and she can she can move around the races like Rachel Dolezal did in America, of course. That, that was a very famous case of someone who had been brought up in a, I think, white, ethnically, I think, Scandinavian or, or, or Northwestern European oh, she was heritage. 100%, 100% white. 100% white. There, there were interviews with her, the, the, her parents, her sort of middle-aged white parents, just, and they're, they're just saying, I don't know what's going on, why, why she's, you know, they were and really she confused. she chose to identify as an African-American. She said that she always felt black. Because as a child, in her book, she said she, um, she used to colour in pictures of herself with a brown crayon rather than a peach crayon, which, of course, proves that she's black. But, of course, being black is more than just the way you colour in your own illustration. Um, it, it's, it's so odd to me. But that's the Was that partly an inspiration for Titania? Oh, 100%. I mean, but that, but that's, that's, that is the logical end point of the politics of identity, mm -hmm. which is that uh, because it's a very narcissistic narcissistic ideology and it just means that uh, basically you can choose to be whatever you want and the irony is of course those of us in the gay rights movement for years uh, pushed the mantra of we are born this way we do not choose to be this now it's very much the opposite I mean now you'll see that people talk, that talk about uh, gender and the, the fluidity of gender and the, you know the idea that there are over 70 different multiple gender options what they're saying is actually it's about choice now it's not about can I just put in a slight counter argument uh, always could, could, could it be the case that you know we have choice all around us mm. in a way we didn't have before. When I was growing up, there were two or three radio stations and you listened to it or you didn't listen to it. Sure. Today, I can go on to Spotify and I choose my playlist. Yeah. Um, Netflix, um, if I was younger, um, it would be Tinder. All, yeah, yeah. Sorts of, all sorts of ways in which you can choose what you want when you want. Yeah. Is this perhaps just an extension of that idea of self-selection? But to the point where it's become absurd, where you're, you're selecting things that are not really within nature's gift to allow you to choose for yourself? Well, uh, choice is a great thing. And, and, and the, those things that you're having a lot of things to watch on Netflix, I'm all for. I think that's great. Um, I think the problem is that it, it, it comes down to um, an unwillingness to accept the reality as it is. You can't choose what chromosomes you have. No, you, you really can't. Are born. Right? I'd rather be six foot two with a six pack, right? But I can't just identify. Well, I can. I can identify as that, but, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to get picked for an athletics team. Well, the, there was that famous case, I think, in the Netherlands where mm. a man actually said he wanted to identify as someone 20 or 30 years younger than yeah. he actually was. And he went to court and tried uh, to no, legally have his age changed. There's a number of people uh, doing that. I saw one in America, was a, a man who's in his 40s, who's living as a seven-year-old girl with, with some two people who've decided to be his parents. Now, look, I also believe anyone has the right to identify as whatever they want and call themselves whatever they want. You have want. the right to be mad, but we have the right to say yeah, you're mad. Ex well, exactly. I think what, what it comes down to is this idea, this very kind of egotistical idea that because I feel a certain way, everyone else around me is going to have to accommodate my feelings, my sensibility. Mm -hmm. I think it's all tied up with the narcissism that comes from mm -hmm. social media and the commodification of the individual. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's what worries me, is that actually sometimes you've got to be able to say, you've got to, be able to, say to Rachel Dolezal, you're not black, love. Sorry, you're just not. That we've got to be able to get back to that where we can do that rather than just indulging everyone's fantasies as they're the reality because mm -hmm. that's not the real world. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, Titania seems 
ludicrous and, and absurd and I, I'm a great fan because obviously when I, 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 I read her tweets, she quite often talks about current affairs and what's happening in the world around us yeah. through the prism of the ultra-woke, yeah. uber-politically correct. And it, it's funny, it's amusing. Um, do people ever actually fall for it though? Do you get yes. people who think of her as a serious person making serious points? All the time, every day. And in fact, it still happens. I, I'm really shocked. People who are in favour of what she's saying or against what she's Normally saying? Normally against. Right. So um, but that's why I like doing the character because I'm able to have, uh, you know, mock the extremes of the left and the right. Yeah. The character itself, of course, is, is mocking the extreme left identitarians. But, but the arguments that she gets into are invariably with the kind of right wing, rabid Trump supporters who come on and say, attacker for her views. So you get people actually coming along yeah. and saying... <laughs> and then I get into arguments. I stay in character all the time. I get into arguments. I'll screenshot the argument and I'll post that. And then they become the, the butt of the joke. So um, you're not just sending up the ultra-woke. No. You're probably also sending up the sort of alt-right people who... who yeah. Know. So the people... For instance, I, uh, homophobes get very upset with her because I think she said she said something at one point about how if you are a man and you're attracted to women, that means you've got feminine tastes, so you're probably gay. And then they, a lot of people, well, I'm not gay, I'm not a fag or whatever, and all these people saying this sort of stuff, and she'll get into arguments with them. And then, and that's great fun, you know, because... Really, it's revealing on both sides. That's the point, that's the point. I, I, it's a good opportunity for me to have a go at both sides. You know? of, of course, the, the running joke behind this incredibly funny character is that she's incredibly privileged. She, yeah. she, she had a private education. I think she lives in central London. Yeah. I think she talks about having a house full of servants when she was growing up. Yeah. She went to Oxford. Yeah. Um, she, 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 was, was she a contemporary of anyone that we know? What, in Oxford? Yeah. I haven't really thought about that. Would Maybe she been a contemporary? Yeah. Perhaps the Cameroons had passed on by then. She's yeah. younger than that. Uh, she, she's twen early 20s, so okay. I wonder who she would be in contemporary of. Lots of people now working their way up through the ranks of the you know, BBC. And, I, might, and, I should think about that. I mean, yeah. she mentioned meeting Kate Middleton in the book. Um, but I think that was really for a punchline I needed. Um, but I, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna, I'll have to flesh that out a little bit more. Actually. I, I suspect that she probably went to university with and start, got to know one or two people who are beginning to make a name for themselves yep. in, 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 in the world. Um, I look back at some of the great comic creations that there have been. Harry Enfield's um, Loads of Money. Yep. Um, Miranda. Mm -hmm. um, we all find those characters funny because we all slightly know someone who's a little bit like yeah, that. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I don't want to be unkind, but, you know, there are people in their 20s and 30s who, who sometimes have a little bit of the Miranda about them, which is what makes Miranda so funny. In the 1980s, when Harry Enfield's Loads of Money character was, yeah. was all the rage, we, we all knew someone who was a little bit flash yeah. with the cash that they were making in those, those boom years. Yeah. Do, do you know people like Titania? 100%, yeah. I mean, I... I I mean, I, you've got to remember that I've, I, my background is that at university I was studying English, I was studying all the literary theory, all the post-structuralism, all of that kind of stuff, which is where all of this woke stuff has come from, really. People who are obsessed with the idea of power structures in society that they can't identify or quantify, but they think that they can control people if they just rectify those problems. So that's where it all comes from, and I do know those people. And, of course, I've worked in the media, so, so you meet a lot of people like this. Um, people who are determined to find misogyny everywhere and all that sort and of thing. And this obsession with language, this idea yeah, that language, yeah. you can control what people think if you can control what they say. Which is straight out of Orwell, of course. And they say to us, you know, you should stop saying Orwell is a cliche. It's difficult to know what else to, to use. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Uh, they think that if they can outlaw certain words and phrases, that, that everything will be great. If you get rid of all the racist words, there won't be any racists anymore. Stop being allowed to call things Orwellian. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. It, it, and it's... Um, 
I do know those people, and we all know those people. What's very interesting is a lot of the people who've been angry about the character uh, tend to say, one of the main criticisms they say, well, first they say it's not funny, which is, of course, their right to say. And they, why would they find it funny? I wouldn't find it funny if I was being, if I was the target of mockery, uh, which I often am. Um, but also what they, what they tend to say about it is that those people don't really exist, that I've created this kind of straw man or straw woman to, to have a go at something that isn't there. But that's not true. Uh, often, in fact, in the book, I'm often quoting actual modern-day feminists or intersectionalists, mm -hmm. um, and you'll see that there's there's really not that much in between what I'm saying and what they're saying. And that's the problem. That's why that's why they don't like it, because I think they can detect a kind of truth uh, in it. And she's, I think that upsets them. She's a mirror. Them. They see themselves. They... And I think they don't like seeing themselves the way that other people see them, the way that most people do see them. But this is a really interesting point, I think, because it, it's social media, and it's you on social media armed with not much more than a mobile phone and a Twitter account, yeah. who started to mine a very rich vein of comedy. In fact, create, you might say, a rich vein of comedy. There was a time, surely, when television was alternative, alternative mm. comedy in the 60s. It poked fun at the then establishment. Yeah. Why, why is television not producing this sort of satire, this Be kind of humour? Because it is the establishment now, and because co the, the comedy circuit generally is towing a very establishment line. I mean, uh, for, if you go to most comedy nights, uh, particularly over the past, past couple of years, the targets will be fairly predictable and you get things like, you know... Every, the Royal Family, Brexiteers, Bre Boris Johnson... Yeah, you know, Brexiteers are all evil, Tories are all evil, etc., whatever. And, it's, and, it, and it gets quite boring. Now, I'm all for those jokes, by the way. I think, I think they, yeah, everyone should be mocked. But I do mean everyone. I think, I think there should be some kind of parity. I'm more interested in a, in a range of, of different ideas. And not to say that there are incredibly talented and, and, and diverse comics out there. There are. But what I'm saying is you do get this sense of homogeneity when you go to, to comedy clubs as often as I do. Um, and I think there is a sort of need... Sometimes, presumably, you, you hear a joke, maybe people mocking Catholics or, or there's a Book of Mormon. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I've, I've heard those jokes and I thought to myself, they wouldn't make a joke like that about Muslims. But they would on the comedy circuit. I mean, there are there are people on the comedy circuit who are making jokes about about Islam. And, really, I think yeah, I, I think that's a, um, a that comes from the from just watching television. You know, if you just watch comedy on television, of course, there are limits to what you can talk about. But on the comedy circuit, there are people who make make jokes about all sorts of things. But the, it would be futile to try and deny that there's a left wing bias in comedy. Of course, there is. The vast majority of comics. I mean, there was a survey about. Even artists, I think it's something like 96, 97% of artists are pro-Remain, for instance. So there's definitely um, an instinct there which, which but doesn't... I mean, going back to Medici Florence, artists have always been in cahoots with the moneyed elite. That's right. where well, they get their, that's where they yeah, get their I mean, paycheck from. We used to have a, 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 um, a situation in Renaissance England. The, the reason we flourished in Renaissance England in terms of literature is because we had the patronage system. You know, people could be poor and they could, you know... Get, uh, still produce their art and they were left alone to produce their art and nowadays of course it's tough you know pe people who want to be stand-ups if they're not independently wealthy they have to work during the day they have to go out and flog it during the night you know so of course they're going to be worried about their career and of course they're going to start self-censoring because they want to get on tv would you ever get commissioned by the bbc to do titania on, on on television i don't know i'd love to um I've, netflix I, uh, I don't yeah again who can say um I mean, netflix presumably is making the whole business of commissioning much more competitive yeah, well, I think I think at the moment uh, TV commissioners generally uh, will, will, are certainly wanting to broaden out. I'm seeing this. I'm seeing evidence of this. Uh, I've done a couple of things for TV and a couple of things for BBC. Mm -hmm. Things, you know, they do want to broaden out that political because uh, there is a lack of political diversity That's in comedy and satire. That's very encouraging. And I am seeing those signs of uh, that. That some people are seeing that it's not a threat to mock our side. That's okay. That it's all right. 
Um, and so hopefully we're seeing a bit of a new alternative comedy movement. Um, this is why I set up a comedy club in London called Comedy Unleashed, because I was interested mm. to to get a range of different types of voices and 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 not just make it about diversity insofar as, you know, th there's an obsession with diversity in terms of sexuality, race and gender, but not in terms of thought and mm. ideas and innovation. And that, that to me is the more interesting thing because mm. I, you know, we, we book that club on the basis of whether we think you're a good act or not. We, we ignore any kind of sense of diversity quotas as they are typically understood. So for comedy to evolve, you, you need more diversity yeah. and then seeing, let it be a consumer punter-driven process. Exactly. What, exactly. what sells. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what but I think. Having said that, you know, one of the things I think that is better about this country than in the past, and there, there are all sorts of improvements, but this really struck me when I was an MP. Yeah. Um, when I was an MP doing constituency casework, I came across a lot of people who had a disability, but thanks to technology, instead of sitting at home watching telly in their armchair, which is what they would have done 20, 30 years ago, yeah. technology allowed them to live a much more active life. Yeah. And I wonder if, you know, sometimes when we talk about political correctness, isn't it a good thing that we're a little bit more sensitive to how we describe someone who's consigned to living in a wheelchair? Yeah, it's definitely a good thing. You know, it's, it's, it's good to be politically correct if political correctness means being sensitive to others who aren't mainstream. Yeah, exactly. I, I, totally, I totally agree with that. I mean, I, I read Yasmin Alibi Brown's book about political correctness. Uh, and at the, which I didn't much like, but I think she's a good writer, but I didn't much like the book. But at the end of the book, she talks about, you know, that to her, uh, political correctness simply means uh, politeness. Now, if that mm. were the case, then I'd be on board with that fully. Mm. Where I think she's wrong is that I don't think that is what it means necessarily. You know, if it is just a matter of decorum, then yeah, I, I think things have improved, certainly. Mm. I, and, and we are more aware and we are now living in a really tolerant, open culture where we don't uh, demonise those people. And that's good. But, but the phenomenon which we call political correctness, that allows you to, or, or ensures you're more polite and respectful towards people with disabilities or, or, yeah. or, or minorities or, or, or more respectful towards women or, or whatever. Um, it's not the same phenomenon as something that prevents you from saying that, you know, people with two X chromosomes are women and people yeah, with X Y exactly. chromosomes are men. Uh, it's almost as if we haven't yet invented the terminology to distinguish this this new sort of uber political correctness. Yeah, it's like you've got to put the brakes on, right? So when, when we've reached a point where people are no are no longer discriminated against in in the workplace, etc. On the whole, I'm not saying it in, entirely. Obviously, there's always going to be cases, but you know, I mean, the BBC, for instance, does not um, uh, have a racist policy of employment, but now they introduce internships for non-whites only. That, to me, is an admission that they think that their staff are racist, which is a weird thing to admit. Um, I, I think you've just got to put the brakes on at some point and, and stop trying to find discrimination where it doesn't exist and, in fact, just identify where it does exist. That's, that's the point. Could, could one way of describing and explaining wokeness as a phenomenon would be to say that in a sort of post-Christian secular world, mm -hmm. it's become, in effect, a religion? It is a religion, yes, 100%. Because, because when you talk to these people online, as I often do, often get into arguments with them, you can see that you cannot reason with them. They it's a worldview. It's, it's an ideology. Yeah. They, they, they can't see your perspective. They see you as a heretic. They brand you as, as a heretic. Sinful. Sinful, definitely. They don't believe in redemption. So if you've said something in the past that is, as they, one of their words, problematic, uh, then you, are, you, have the, you have the mark. You are stigmatized forever, right? So they have those. This is very uh, religious orthodoxy. They have all the, 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 the esoteric codes and, and phrases like problematic mansplaining, erasure. They talk about the erasure of existence. They talk about bodies of color. Uh, they talk what about is safe the erasure space. of existence? Oh, oh, so if you, uh, for instance, if you criticize 
the the existence of non-binary people say they will say you are erasing our existence right you are erasing nobody's trying to erase anybody's existence no one's trying to wipe anyone off the face of the earth uh, what they are doing is having wanting to have a debate about the implications of biology They're and transgenderism absolutist like it's, it's that's it Inquisition. that's it and that's the problem with it and and most most of all is their mischaracterization of their opponents so what they will do because they see you as a sinner they don't just see you as wrong they see you as evil so I'm often having arguments with people who are convinced that I am this sort of uh, aggressive, rabid, uh, far-right, fascist, all of these sorts of things. I've even had friends say that to my face, former friends, I should say. Um, and you think, well, this is a delusion, but, it, but it's explained if you understand it as a religion. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like the, um, was it Stephen Weinberg, the American physicist, who said about in order for good people to do bad things, it takes religion. And that, I'm afraid, is what's happening now. The entire woke movement, as it stands, is well-intentioned. Lots of well-intentioned people who think they're doing God's work. They think they're, they're pure and they seek ideological purity and, from and, everyone and, else. And like a religion, there's a sort of uh, uh, a ladder of virtue, if you mm, like. Yeah, exactly. And if you, you know, intersectionalism, you could almost describe as an attempt to construct, in terms of ideology, yeah, yeah. a ladder of a virtue. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what, what's slightly sinister about it, though, is is in, in many religions, virtue comes from the doing of good deeds yeah. or conforming with the teachings of, of, of your particular religious yeah. founder. What, what, what's disturbing about this particular ladder of virtue in wokeness is that virtue comes from being a victim. That's right. <laughs> virtue comes from being somehow supposedly discriminated against. that's the that's the perversity of it is that that you get your power your clout uh from uh expressing your grievance so the more of a victim you can be the more powerful you are within you can see where this is going to end up this is a disaster <laughs> i mean actually when you go back to the original uh use of the term intersectional which was uh, it was simply a metaphor which was used by it was kimberly crenshaw i think who's a legal scholar and she was writing about um specific cases specific discrimination cases and she had a point um there was one case against general motors where they had basically discriminated against black female employees right and um the reason they had done and in their case they defended them, themselves by saying we're not racist look at all the black men we've got and we're not sexist look at all the white women we've got <laughs> but of course the black females fell through the cracks so therefore the intersectional idea that you can be at an intersection of various forms of oppression. You feel the impact of sexism as well as racism, right? That is an interesting and useful analogy to make. But when that analogy then becomes a religion, then, then you have the problem. And particularly when victimhood becomes a route to power, um, then you're going to have people, and you've seen them, you have people on, on, on Twitter uh, talking about their oppression, talking how oppressed they are, because they know it gives them points in this world. But it, it's, it's, as you say, it's very narcissistic because yeah. if, if you achieve something in life, and as individuals, we all like to think we achieve things, if, if you see yourself as achieving what you've achieved and at the same time overcoming all the oppression, yeah. it, it's almost a form of, of, of inflating your own score yeah. in your own eyes. And it's also incredibly damaging to young people. You know, I mean, I've, I... I I used to be a teacher, so I, I know this. The worst thing you can, and I taught at a girls' school, actually, the worst thing you can do is go into a girls' school and say, you will always be victims. No matter what you do, you're going to be the victims of the patriarchy. You're going to get paid less. You're not going to get opportunities. None of this is true. And if you Im implant that in people's heads, then that's going to have a really negative effect mm -hmm. on someone's development. So I think it's really damaging. This is the point I was making about well intentions, right? It's, it's, it's a well-intentioned idea that leads to incredibly damaging consequences. Yeah. It's funny. I've come across one or two woke people in my time, and quite often they will think of themselves as being 
at the vanguard of what's rational and modern. Yeah. But I, I, I think actually wokeness is almost a hark back to the pre-enlightenment days of the past. Imagine, yeah, imagine on Twitter, for example, someone was to say something about, I don't know, the status of gay people or the status of Muslims in Britain. Yeah. Instead of judging them on the basis of what it was that they had said, yeah. all of us, without thinking about it, would look and see what kind of person said it. Were they themselves gay? Right, exactly. Were they themselves Muslim? And the, the whole idea about the Enlightenment is that you should judge people on the basis of their own merits, the strength of their own argument. Yeah, sure. We've almost gone back to the idea that you, you, you have a sort of a, 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 a greater authority if you come from a certain caste or a certain background. It's, incredi it's incredibly regressive. Yeah. I mean, what, what happens now is that people think in terms of the filter of race, gender and sexuality and forget about the individual. And that also means that if you stray outside the parameters of acceptable thought within your particular demographic, then you are also uh, likely to be ostracized. Okay, so gay people are meant to think a certain way and have a certain idea. Uh, black people are meant to think a certain way and have a certain idea. That, and this is really demeaning uh, to the individual and to, the, to humanity It denies generally. people agency. Hugely. It, yeah. it, it almost it's, goes back to a sort of an apartheid system where you say, because you're born this colour or because yeah. you're from this background, you're only capable of X or Y. Yeah. And, and well, fortunately, what I do think is I, I am sensing a kind of beginnings, a stirring of a kind of sea change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, we always sort of see this as very much a millennial problem. But of course, the millennials are getting old now and, and uh, Generation Z are coming up and they're not having none of it. You know, or, or the, the studies would seem to suggest that. So I do think it's going to die out. It's already feeling a bit outdated, isn't it? So I think um, once more and more comedians are mocking it, which I'm seeing more and more of, uh, once people mm -hmm. are realizing that, no, there's safety in numbers. If we all stand up and, look, I mean, before, this very small minority of woke people, if you, if you, if you, if you were a heretic, they would attack you on social media, they'd go to your employers, mm -hmm. they'd find a way to destroy your livelihood, destroy your life, and that's how cruel and vicious they are um, because they think they're doing good, you know? And, um, but when more people stand up against them, they won't be able to do that anymore when, when there's going to be a tipping point. If, if we're not careful, though, are we not in danger of ending up as a country, as a society, where you have a, a, an educated elite who are unduly influenced by this new religion, in effect, of, yeah. of wokeness, this ethical system? Hmm. And you've got a mass of what you might call suburban Britain yeah. that is not influenced by this new creed at all. Yeah. And you get this extraordinary detachment. Aren't we already starting to see this? I mean, that's I, what we've got. That's, I, what, that's exactly what's happening I, now. I, I look at some of the, the mainstream news output and I, I look at some of the questions that the presenter puts to people shaping the news agenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think this is utterly detached from the mindset of suburban, ordinary Britain. Yeah, most people don't, don't know or care about any of this stuff. And you see the... Um, but that, that's true of politics as well, isn't it? Maybe... <laughs> I'll give you an example. Okay, cool. Talk about the Tory leadership. Yeah. Um, I listened to journalists talking about the gender balance in the Tory mm. leadership. I mean, with, with, with great respect to, you know, we, we've had a woman prime minister, not yep. entirely successful. There was a previous Tory prime minister. I happen to think one of the most successful leaders this country's ever produced. Yeah. Um, but I can't really see why the chromosome content of the candidates no. in this race are of any consequence to anyone whatsoever. No, and it never works. It, uh, like, if you play the identity politics card, that is electoral hemlock. Yeah. It, it doesn't work. I mean, Hillary Clinton did it. Didn't work out for her at all. She, she played the woman card. That was her thing. You know, but of course, a working class w mother in America who's working two jobs, she doesn't care. She's not going to be consoled yeah. by the idea that there's a female millionaire I, I, in the I, White I, House. I, people were talking about 
what sort of candidates had the most interesting backstory. Yeah, look, what is it, a backstory? Exactly. It, Have you ever heard an ordinary voter talk about someone's backstory? No, it's it, the voter's backstory that's of interest, not exactly, the politicians. The, the, people are much more politically clued up than the media give them credit for. And, and but, but again, you saw this with the Brexit party doing so well, because all the media could do is, is, is ask these gotcha questions about stuff yeah. you said many years ago. And actually, everyone, the electorate, want to hear about the issues. They want to hear about democracy and the stuff yeah. that we're talking about. And they saw through it and they voted for the Brexit party, didn't they? So it's, it, One of the reasons why we're doing Room for Thought is because I'm so fed up after years and years of being an MP yeah. with gotcha journalism. Yeah. I want to give people like you, like Matt Ridley, like Claire Fox, like others who are coming on, yeah. the opportunity to come here, say what you want to say. And, you know, if you don't like the way you said it, tell me and I'll, I'll, we'll re-record it. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not interested in tripping up anyone. I want, and the viewers who, who tune in, yeah. want, want to hear what you've got to say. Yeah. That's, that's well, what... Exactly. I think that's a really important thing. I mean, you know, I, I agree that everyone should be held accountable for the things that they, they say. But a lot of the questions that were asked during this campaign of Nigel Farage and Claire Fox uh, have been asked many, many times before. And they've had their answer many, many times before. They, there's nothing new or interesting uh, to be said about that. Now, if the cultural elites are increasingly woke. Yeah. And the rest of the country is pretty non-pulsed by all this Titania McGrath type nonsense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you can see why the elite feel threatened. You can see yeah, why it is that they're starting to restrict social yeah. media and social media content. Absolutely. And you're seeing that uh, with Silicon Valley, that all the tech giants are sort of collaborating to kind of police what can be said, the parameters of acceptable thought. The last thing that we want is for these these huge plutocrats in, in, in America to control the Overton window. That's not what we want. That's a really bad situation. I mean, if the Overton window in the Western world is defined by people who went to Harvard and Yale, yeah. and is, <laughs> the world is, a, is not going to be awful. a happy place. And I hate seeing people who identify as socialists yeah. uh, then going to these, these corporations and asking them to police, the thought, to police the thought of others and to enact censorship on their behalf. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a massive incoherence within that. I think, I think we have to resist it. Uh, people are developing their own platforms because they realise they have to. Well, if if Twitter and Facebook and other platforms like that become yeah. increasingly bland because one's not allowed to say anything interesting or controversial, yeah. um, surely you create the space for a, a, a foreign government or a, a, a non-Western player or indeed a startup that doesn't abide by any of these yeah, Silicon exactly. Valley rules to come along and... And create a, a new platform. And you went, well, it's been tried before. I mean, um, when they invented Gab, for instance, the Gab was, the idea of Gab was a response to Twitter. And it was going to be a complete free speech platform, but with the same sort of functions as Twitter. And of course, the problem with that is then, uh, the sort of woke group on the left started demonizing Gab as a, a far right because it would have let anyone on the platform. So they did end up with some far right people on the platform. So then you demonize it as a kind of far right even though it's, it, it was it, the co-founder was 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 uh, I, I think it was Persian or something like it doesn't make any sense, but they did this, and then of course it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because you do get the far right people gravitating towards Gab, the people on the left stay on that side, and you end up with just enhancing the echo chamber phenomenon. So really, and it does it it undermines Twitter's own perspective, it undermines mm -hmm. their own political viewpoint mm -hmm. because what you're doing is actually entrenching those people that you've mm -hmm. sort of castigated and put put aside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What they really should do is just have no censorship on their platform. And that, that's what the block button is for. The block button is, is a brilliant thing to actually enforce free speech. It means that you can have free speech yeah. because part of free speech is not being obliged to listen to what other people have mm -hmm. to say. So you can just, you can just block them. It, it's interesting in this country with the advent of the printing press, the, the elites back in those days felt incredibly threatened by mm -hmm. the ability of 
people to publish and distribute and disseminate yeah. information. Yeah. So you needed a license to own a printing press until I think the 1690s, to the Glorious Revolution. Yeah. Um, and ever since then, you, you've not needed a, in effect, a, a permission from the state to publish something. Yeah. Now, we're starting to see even, even that old idea being slowly eroded. Yeah. I think there's the uh, a, a press regulator now, yes, which yes. is increasingly, and you know, the Tories have put the architecture of, of state control over the mainstream media there. I suspect if there was a change of government, a Labour government, they would... Uh, a Labour are very hostile to, yeah. uh, to press freedom. Uh, a Labour are pushing for more press regulation. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn even explicitly kind of threatened, you know, when we're in power, you better watch out. Like, I'm paraphrasing there, but you know what I mean. He was but, saying, the, but, but the interesting thing is, in many ways, the state doesn't even need to control or try no. and control the establishment, certainly not the broadcast media, because there's such a symbiotic relationship between, and, and there's a cultural affinity between those at the top of the broadcast establishment yeah. and those at the, at the top of the, the, the Quango state establishment. They yeah. don't really need to uh, try and control it. No, and, and, and like you say, they are threatened by the idea of people going out and saying whatever they think at any point. And that's why they are broadly supportive of what, of what uh, YouTube and, and Twitter and all the rest of it do. And I feel that, you know, we always hear this, don't we? We hear that these are private companies. They can do what they want. They can ban whom, whomever they like. Um, but then when they, when they get sued for content that's on their platform, they say, yeah, but we're, we're not publishers. We're a well, platform. I, I do agree. They, they should be able to do what they like. But I, I also think that, you know, what we need is to make sure that if Facebook and the rest of them become so bland, mm -hmm. they, they, they go the way of what, what are some of those earlier social media platforms? Yeah. That, you know, um, what was it? Um, uh, friends uh, Reunited. Uh, friends Reunited, yeah. That, that, and, and yeah, there are, what, and there MySpace, another, MySpace. MySpace, yeah. Um, I suspect that, you know... But, if, but in order for that to happen, we're going to have to build those other platforms. We've, well, got, we've got things like BitChute and Minds and well, things like that. Well, wait until China's Weibo starts right, okay. to have, um, you know, a, a, an English language interface. Yeah. <laughs> that could get quite interesting. I think what will happen is most people uh, will will gravitate towards it because people crave that. They, they but of want... course, in China, they have a different type of censorship. Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, so that, you know, exactly. But yes, I, I imagine... Well, that is the way it's going to have to go. Yeah. I think I think Twitter, Facebook, I think they are over. They've had their day. I, I think they will die because they are just too censorial. They're, they're too determined to, to, to police what's on the mm -hmm. platform. And it can never work. For start, they don't understand satire. Mm. They don't get jokes. They can't. They, it, it, it starts to feel very arbitrary. But on this point about, about jokes and humour, yeah. a, a few weeks ago, um, Danny Baker mm -hmm. um, sent out a tweet. Um, of um, It was the time of a royal birth, and yeah. I think... There was, you know, a feeling that what he said was in poor taste. He didn't yeah. say anything. I think he tweeted something. It was a picture. Yeah, it was a picture. And you know, I don't want to go into that, but it caused offence. I don't think for a moment that Danny Baker set out to offend no, anyone. I don't. No, um, but I, I do think that even if he did, he should have the right to do so in a free well, that's society. My, that's my point. That's yeah. my point. Like, like, I think. Ultimately, everyone should have the right to say whatever they want. And Joe Brand as well. She, yeah, she I mean, made a, a, a rather. Foolish joke about foolish because it wasn't funny. About instead of um, milkshaking uh, Brexit supporters, um, I think she said they should have battery acid thrown at them. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I've had more than my fair share of, of aggravation from leftist mobs in my yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And but I think Joe Brand has an absolute right to make that joke. She does. I mean, uh, you know, I, I mean, I would go even further. I'd say she'd have the right to say it in sincerity if she wants. But she should be criticised and, and attacked for it if she were to do that, which she mm. wouldn't do. I mean, Joe Brand is not a violent person, and she's certainly not calling for violence. It was a joke, whether you found it funny or not. I mean, you say you found it, you didn't find it funny, but there were people in that audience who laughed of at course, it, right? So, course. so, what are you going to do? It's 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 definitely a joke, and I think we we you know there aren't. 
I think we've bought into this idea that there are all these people out there who are just all these violent people who are just waiting for Joe Brown's permission to throw battery acid at a politician. That isn't the case. If that were to happen, then the responsibility is on that person, not, on, not on Joe Brown for making well, a joke. Well, about what it. I find quite depressing about this is that we should live in a country where after an episode of, I don't know what it was, was it question time or, 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 or have I got news for you? Yeah. That, that the police should be involved. I no, mean, it's insane. I can't even believe we're having this conversation. Like, the, 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 there is no circumstances where the police or the judiciary or the Crown Prosecution <laughs> Service should get involved in policing humour. They're not good <laughs> comedy critics, right? They don't know what, I mean, it's, look, look at the, the Count Dankula case is a very good example. Mm -hmm. You know, he's pros he has now got a criminal record. He was prosecuted, found guilty. By Who's a sing uh, Count Dankula, Marcus Meekin, the guy who did the Nazi pug video. Right. Um, now he's uh, a YouTuber from Scotland. And the uh, single judge, there wasn't a jury because it was a sheriff's court, uh, found him guilty of violating the 2003 communica Electronic Communications Act. And the stipulation within that piece of legislation is that if, if something can be deemed to be grossly offensive, uh, then you will be found guilty, which is an incredibly subjective idea. And the, 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 but I, I'm sure I say things that someone somewhere must find offensive right, well, by if definition. You, if you post it online and if a judge agrees that it's grossly offensive, then yes, you can go to prison for that. Um, I mean, that piece of legislation should be scrapped. Absolutely scrapped. There's no doubt. And, and it's because of this kind of culture of offense that we've built up where people feel that if they are upset personally, then they have a right to go to the police mm. about it. You know, we had that guy in Humberside who was investigated by the police for retweeting a supposedly transphobic poem. Um, he didn't even write it, but he retweeted it. And the police phoned him up and said, we've got to check your thinking on this. Now, this check should, your thinking. Yeah. And what was worse <laughs> is, is when the police were criticised for it, they said, but this is standard practice. And not only is it standard practice there, it's standard practice across the country. The government has a hate crime website which talks about non-crime hate incidents. And it specifically says that if you perceive that somebody has um, has um, mocked you or, done so, or said something offensive and that that was motivated by prejudice, then that becomes logged as a non-crime hate incident. It goes into the hate crime statistics. This should not happen. This is a free society. We need to scrap all of this. Of course, what, what's so depressing about identity politics is it's not just that it denies people agency, but it, it, it is joyless. It, yeah. it, it's, it's humorless. It is it, just the latest phase of Puritanism. These are the Pharisees just re-emerging in a different form. Um, and they are uh, po-faced and they, they don't like mockery. And they have a real mistrust of the working class. I mean, I see this an awful lot. See, the, the, the woke, the idea of woke comedy is based on the idea that 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 we shouldn't say off-color jokes or offensive jokes because the the masses don't understand the difference between jokes and real life, and they'll take it as a direct instruction to go and perform act, a criminal act. It, it's incredibly it, patronizing. It's, it's also very pessimistic, isn't yeah. it? Because it it assumes that you know, on on the left, identity politics ends up. Uh, worrying about inequality, even though inequality yeah. is in decline, it, it, it looks to find offence and difference where actually there's growing social cohesion. Yeah, yeah. On the right, it, it leads to this sort of um, uh, pessimistic view about you know our country's future, yeah. demographic panic. You, you get panic over uh, the environment on the left. It, it's the politics of pessimism. It's it's it's. Yeah. They have a lot in common. The far, uh, the far left and the far right are both identitarian movements. So in, on the far right, you've got this the xenophobic, jingoistic kind of approach and, and mm -hmm. the people who are um, panicking about immigration and, 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 uh, and things like racial purity and this horrible phrase, the great replacement, all this racist nonsense, right? And that, that is 
uh, a form of identity politics, and it's a very dangerous one. And then on the other side, you've got the the far left who who have their own form of identity politics, where they think that people should be judged uh, by their by their characteristics such as race, gender, and sexuality, and, and 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 nothing more. And the problem with those two groups is they feed off each other. They are interdependent. One it informs the other. One's raison d'être is because the other exists, right? They, they and that's why this is why we end up as a country with two political tribes who hate each other. Exactly, exactly. And they and they constantly mischaracterize each other. So what we need to do, and um, from my perspective, coming from the left, my feeling is I have to attack leftist identity politics uh, in order to, because what it is doing, it is feeding its antithesis, which is the kind of far right uh, xenophobia. And I think both are as bad as each other. And uh, that's why they need to be resisted. So, I mean, we, we, we really do have to learn to laugh. Otherwise, yeah, yeah, look, otherwise this is going to drive you know politics what? into a horrible place. Bottom line, someone standing up uh, who comes from a private educated background, really rich, telling us what a victim she is, that's funny. That's always going yeah. to be funny. Back in the 1930s, when there was a, 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 a threat from far-right fascistic yep. autocrats, yep. there was a, a comic genius created, um, the, the Black Shorts, um, yep. a, a sort of send-up of, I think, Oswald Mosley. Yeah, um, uh, P.G. Woodhouse. P.G. Woodhouse. Uh, he had a brown shirt uh, character. The brown in, shorts. The brown, the, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. they called them the brown shorts. And uh, yeah, Roderick Spode, that was it. That's Roderick right. Spode. I've, I've, yes, I've read the book that that's it. it it's, um, it's one of the Jeeves and Worcester books. But yeah, it's a, it's a great... This is why I always find it ridiculous when people say that Woodhouse was a, um, a fascist sympathiser. Absolute nonsense. But Ro Roderick Spode probably did more to, you know, instruct people that, you know, this new fascist thing was yeah. not worth supporting than anything exactly. anyone else it's, a, it's the best thing yeah. to do is ridicule. ridicule. Right? Uh, Hannah Mocking. Arendt said this about how uh, authority, the best way to undermine authority is through humour. Because yeah. they hate being laughed at. I mean, look at Erdogan in Turkey. You know, he's, he tried to get that German uh, satirist extradited, didn't he, over that limerick about him having yeah. sex with a goat? But in Turkey, there's extraordinary censorship of, of social media now. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's... It's normalised. Yeah, but they, they fear the satirists, don't they? Above all else, they fear the idea of mockery. All of them. Uh, maybe, maybe it's encouraging. Maybe if people fear mockery, it's because they know deep down inside they're vulnerable to it because there's an element of truth in it. Yeah, you very likely. You know, if, if, if our elites are starting to behave rather like the elites in Turkey, yeah. perhaps it's because they both recognise that maybe their time yeah, is up. Yeah, well, we haven't reached that point yet, thank God. But, uh, you know... Um, no, we have a different kind of problem here, though, don't we? It's, 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 uh, uh, for instance, the, the Count Dankula case, it wasn't that he was ridiculing someone in power, and that, that, was, that was the problem. It was that people took offence at it. Question, if I may, drawing, drawing the thread to a close. Um, it's a question that I quite often like to put to people as a general question, yeah. because we live in a world where there's this assumption of multiculturalism. Do you, do you, do you think that all cultures are equal? No. I think certainly, no, not at all. There are cultural practices that are morally unacceptable. And I think we should be able to say that. Um, there's this really weird, this thing, this idea, this new idea of cultural racism, they call it, or culturalism, right? That's not a thing, right? It's, it, 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 it's perfectly okay to judge another culture if that culture Just is doing some, things. Some cultures are, I would have thought this was incontestably the case, better at achieving scientific advancement. Right, I, yeah, exactly. I, I, I believe that living in a culture where we have gender equality is better than living in a culture where we don't. One of the depressing things about cultural relativism, saying all cultures are the same, yeah. it implies that there can't be any form of cultural improvement. Exactly. Which is nonsense, because Britain in 2019 is obviously better than Britain in 1219. It's, it's, it's also a kind of soft racism where you say we're not going to hold uh, these people to standards different from our own, right? 
I mean, you can say, well, okay, FGM is a cultural practice in certain countries, and we shouldn't judge them for that. But if you ask the little girl who's having her her genitals mutilated how she feels about that situation, I think you might get a very different answer. And, you know, I, I don't believe in cultural relativism. I think it's actually really dangerous and damaging because you can excuse all sorts of horrors on that basis. I think we do and should reserve the right to 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 judge certain cultural practices But on a moral level. Wokeness is, if you like, the 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 twin sibling. Of cultural relativism, right? Well, it get, yes, and it, that's why it gets itself in knots, because for some reason on this victim hierarchy, you've got Islam right at the very top. They, that's just the way it's sort of worked out. But you've also got gay rights in there, and then you get a situation such as the protests outside the uh, the um, the primary schools in Birmingham at the moment, where you've got uh, Muslim protesters saying that you can't teach about uh, about uh, gay relationships to our children, um, and shouting things like shame uh, about this gay teacher. And of course, the people who defend both uh, the rights of Islam and LGBT are now finding this very difficult because the two are now suddenly in conflict. And what do you do about that? It's re it's really interesting. It's pretty straightforward to me. If you want to live in this country, you accept certain ideas about individual rights and liberties. You, you just and a, you sacrosanct. Yeah, you just apply the law irrespective mm -hmm. of people's personal yeah. beliefs. I think that's yeah. that's the the obvious thing. And also, yeah. let's not forget that there are gay Muslims who might have a. You see, it's very interesting to me that the people who, who defend the they defend the most vocal. Uh, reactionary elements within Islam, the anti-gay elements, for instance. What about gay Muslims? What about gay women? What about m Muslim women? You know, don't they have some sort of say here? Why? What about people who aren't you know, Muslim but perhaps not quite so orthodox? Well, exactly. What, what, one, one of the things I often find quite disturbing is is how the media will often go to someone who has quite an orthodox yeah. view of Islam to speak on behalf of Muslims. Right, exactly. You, you wouldn't you wouldn't do that for for Christians. You you might talk to Um, a, a, a Catholic, you might talk to an evangelical. Yeah. You, you might talk to someone who goes to church but is pretty, 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 it's, pretty liberal. It's really unfair. I've, I've heard Muslim comics make this point about whatever, whenever they want a reaction from the Muslim community to get some kind of crazy hook-handed imam. It's like that is not reflective, of, you know, of, of, of Muslims. You also then create an incentive where a troublemaker and a rabble rouser yeah. wanting to get on the media yeah. has the incentive to sound. Really nasty and wave exactly. the most offensive placards. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, the protesters at Birmingham, for instance, are not representative of the Muslim community, and I don't think that's that's that's. Uh, but there is a contradiction, and there is a difficulty of homophobia within Islam, and there's no there's no point in pretending that that's not the case, because even Muslims that I know will acknowledge that that's absolutely. But the case. you could also say that's been the case in in, in many Orthodox it, religions. It still is. It yeah. still is, and it has been the case. But but you know. Things have things have changed. I mean, definitely there is a. We've had this recently, haven't they? The, the Catholic Church has released a guide for schools about how to deal with the issue of transgenderism. So now we have a situation where the Catholic Church's teachings on transgenderism are are absolutely incompatible uh, with the woke ideology on that. And that is the case. Those two cannot work. It's the same with homosexuality. You know, I mean, I'm a Catholic, but the truth is uh, that uh, homosexual acts will always be considered disordered by the Catechism of the Catholic Church. That's part of the deal. You know, so uh, you know that's not to say there aren't gay Catholics. There are loads of gay Catholics, but the issue is that there will always be that tension there, and how you negotiate it is a difficult one. But it's one that you should recognise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And of course, it requires tolerance, and it requires accepting the fact that different yeah. people will think differently. This but, is why tolerance is such a great thing, yeah. because tolerance does not imply that you approve. Um, it's perfectly right. 
I, I hear a lot of people, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn did a quick tweet recently where he said, I hate the word tolerance. I want it to be about love and respect. Well, I'm sorry, you can't re love and respect everyone and nor should you. Some ideas are beyond, I don't respect everyone's ideas. I don't respect everyone's beliefs and nor should I. Some respects, some beliefs are contemptible and we should be able to say so. Mm -hmm. uh, but actually tolerance is a good thing because what you can say is I don't agree with what you're, what you stand for. I really, I, I, I in many ways despise it, but I'm, but that's your choice. It's a live and let live idea. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way that humanity, humanity can work. Mm -hmm. This, Andrew, it's been fantastic having you on. I'm, I'm very grateful to you for giving the no, time. Thanks for having me. It's been um, fun. You're, just if I may finish off, you're, you're going to the Edinburgh Fringe this year? I am going to the Edinburgh Fringe this year. So there's going to be a Titania McGrath show uh, at the Pleasance at nine o'clock every night at, throughout August. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'll be doing my own stand-up show at the end of the month. How, are you, so. how, if I may say, are you doing that? Obviously, you can't just be doing a string of tweets on a giant screen. No, no. <laughs> Will you be on the stage? That's or? what I'd do if I was really lazy. <laughs> you know, I just uh, no. It's it's going to be a, a young actress playing Titania, um, who I'm currently in the process of casting, uh, and I'll write the script. And well, I have written the script mostly, and then I will direct it. And um, yeah, so I'm it's going to be tough to find the right person to play that role because. Yeah. It, it all it all rests on her I'm afraid you know you need the right performer to make or break the show so um, fingers crossed we find the right person fantastic well I hope it's a great success thank, thank you very so much, much for coming on and um, yeah I, I look forward to reading more tweets from Titania um, over the <laughs> thank you very much cheers well, thank, thank you cheers